Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. I myself am not a veteran. I'm a civilian and part of The Scuttlebutt is uh, helping civilians to understand military culture. That's that's what The Scuttlebutt's mission is. Uh, today, we have a veteran on with a very different kind of mission. He is Kenny Mintz. He is walking across America for several different purposes that we will get into. He's an Army veteran of 30 years, uh, and his story is amazing. Uh, we get into his service, why he chose to join his West Point uh, years, um, leading up through until the point where he decided he's going to take this walk across America. I found it very interesting, um, you know, a veteran who has served his country for as long as he has. And now he's taking a walk across that country and meeting the people uh, that he served throughout his entire life. It, it's really interesting. And he gets a bit into the wisdom that he shared with the ROTC kids that he worked with, um, the cadets. And, uh, you know, what's great is that I was able to sit down with him and gain some of that wisdom without having to crawl <laughs> a quarter mile. Um, Thank you for so much for enjoying the Scuttlebutt. If this is your first time joining us, please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube. Uh, we have a full list of episodes available across podcast platforms or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check us out on either. We cover a vast range of military topics that I'm sure you'll find something interesting within, um, but uh, would love to hear from you as well. You can email me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Uh, thank you again and enjoy our talk with Kenny. My name is uh, Kenny Mintz. Uh, I'm a retired uh, U.S. Army Colonel, um, 34 years, 30 years as an officer commissioned, and I did four years at West Point, so I count that. <laughs> um, I retired uh, at 30 years and one month of active service as an officer in the United States Army last June on 30 June. Hey, congratulations and happy anniversary for the one-year yep. retirement. It's gone by fast. It's mm -hmm. been scary how fast it's gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so uh, I'm, a, I'm an infantry officer, um, you know, did all those sort of infantry type assignments and, um, you know, had a, had a great career in the Army. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, probably about... Uh, I don't know, about six years ago, my mom was alive. My mom died uh, two years ago from pancreatic cancer. But when my mom was alive, uh, about six years ago, I was uh, taking care of her a lot. Uh, she was really fighting against pancreatic cancer. She was very valiant in that fight and inspired me. Um, you know, she was just very courageous and when I was four years old and my mom was 23, she was living in Washington, D.C. She'd ended up out there because things hadn't really worked out or weren't working out between her and my dad. And that's where actually her in-laws were. My grandparents were living there. And my grandfather had a civil service job there and she ended up kind of with them and then got a job and was was actually doing quite well. I mean, you know, she was she was on her own with me and and thriving. And at some point she decided, you know, I want to go out to San Diego, out to California and start a new life out there. And, you know, it was probably a bit of a um, fantasy, you know, of of 
of what California was in the early 70s. And I would say probably in the early 1970s, it was a pretty magical place. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, she decided to go with a Navy family that was moving from the Pentagon to San Diego and needed somebody to drive one of their cars for them. Yeah. And, and so we went out to San Diego. Um, you know, my mom had, you know, no college degree, no money, really just me in a suitcase. Wow. Got out there and, you know, got a job and eventually started her own company with some partners, a defense contracting firm that was successful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking at my mom fighting the cancer and thinking about this journey that she had taken to California got me to thinking and this idea popped in my head, hey, I want to walk across the country when I retire from the army. I want to walk I'm not going to retrace her steps because I don't really want to walk on I-10 yeah, uh, right. through Texas, uh, you know, and, and Southern New Mexico and Arizona. Uh, I decided I'd take a more Midwestern route, but the bottom line is I, 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 this idea was born of her, you know, her, this journey that she had taken and particularly yeah. because she was dying. Yeah. Um, so, um, so now I'm, I'm out here on my walk. I, I'm in Illinois right now. I've gone 1,037 miles since the 1st of April. I've walked 54 days. I walk about 20 miles a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking to, I started on the 1st of April at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And I'll finish um, at Swami's Beach in Encinitas, California, which is just north of San Diego, which is the area where I grew up um, and sort of the area where my mom settled eventually uh, when, when she got to the West Coast. So the first part of, you know, why I'm doing uh, the walk uh, is because of my mom. And so, you know, you died of pancreatic cancer. There's no cure for it. It's a deadly form of cancer. Usually you get that cancer and you live about six months. My mom survived for five and a half years. And uh, she was very involved with the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network when she was alive. She donated. She went to their yearly Purple Stride walk for charity. And she asked that, you know, before she died, she said, can you make that one of your charities that you're walking for? Mm -hmm. So... So the first part of it is, you know, associated with my mom and, and the pancreatic cancer uh, action network. The second part of it is I wanted to honor uh, the soldiers that I had lost in combat. Mm -hmm. So I, I served as a battalion commander uh, in Afghanistan, 2011 to 2012 in a place called Zari District in Kandahar province. Mm -hmm. uh, I commanded 132 infantry, Chosin. Uh, we lost 14 soldiers uh, killed. Uh, we've lost about 18 uh, to suicide. And I'll touch on that in the next piece of this. So um, so I want to honor the fallen. And uh, I settled on a, a charitable group called the Johnny Mac Soldiers Fund. And, and what they're going to do is provide a grant uh, to scholarships that provide you know, college scholarships to the children of fallen service members. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that was my way of honoring our fallen to give to, you know, the prodigy 
the progeny, not the prodigy, the progeny of those that have fallen in our in service to their country. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the last charity is something called Operation Resiliency. And that's part of the Independence Fund. And what they do is organize unit level reunions. So company sized units that serve in combat together who share a common experience in combat and uh, it reconnects uh, these people together so that they can support one another. Yeah. And what, what I believe is the best medicine out there is veterans who serve together to continue to support one another, just like they did in combat. If we can get through combat, we can get through life together. We can help each other. We can be there for one another. Right. And so these guys put together a first class event. It's structured. It's, you know, you're doing fun events together. You're doing uh, a civic project together. You're doing structured conversations where you talk about veterans issues. You talk about some of the tough stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I experienced one of these reunions about this time last year with one of the companies in the battalion that I commanded. They, they asked me to come to this thing, which was a great honor for me. And I got to see this, in, you know, firsthand, I got to see, you know, guys reconnecting and listen to the stories and have great conversation. And, uh, and then I got to experience it again later on uh, when I was asked to come and speak at another uh, reunion later on um, in the year. So that's my way to honor veterans because we need to connect, we need to support one another. I believe that, uh, you know, that support network can help prevent some of the problems that we're having, at least, you know, help people that are, that are, are suffering um, either from, you know, post-traumatic stress or from addiction and all of the things. And, and really the isolation, because, you know, you, as you are focused on veterans, you know, our veterans of these of these wars, particularly the recent wars, there's not a lot of us. Um, you know, it's not right. like uh, earlier generations where there was a draft and there was just a lot more people. It's a small group. And, you know, you go someplace, you go back home and you don't fit in and you feel isolated and you feel angry. And, uh, you know, you, you choose to start drinking or using drugs. Uh, and then that just sort of leads to, you know, self-destruction and suicide for some people, for a lot of people. Okay. So what if we have, you know, a way to connect and, and reconnect? So that's what that's, that's about. Uh, these are, these are incredible reasons to, to take the walk and the journey that you're, uh, that you're on. Um, and, and I'm so sorry to hear about your mother. She sounds like an amazing woman, uh, she was. resilient yes. and, uh, you know, she had a head on her shoulders that she was going to do something headstrong. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep for sure. And um, go ahead. Yep. I mean, my mom, you know, mom and I were very close and I got to take care of her, you know, for, you know, up until she died. Um, you know, I did my duty to my mom, I think, and that, and that I just, you know, she deserved that from me and uh, I want to continue to honor her, um, you know, as I go forward with this journey. Totally. Um, I just want to say just one more thing. I know I'm talking a lot, but no, um, no worries. You know, this walk is also, you know, you know, there's some personal reasons for it. Obviously, the personal reasons are connected to the to, to the causes that I'm walking for. 
you know, but I also, you know, I just want to do something, you know, because this, this walk is, is a way for me to see the country and meet the people that I served, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my whole life. And I get to do it because I choose to do it because I have the freedom to do right. it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky in that I, you know, I have health care and I have a pension and I have the ability to survive, you know, financially and take seven months or whatever it takes to take this walk. And, uh, you know, I love this country and I, and I've served this country. So I just wanted to see it and I wanted to meet these people. And, uh, I wanted to walk away from my old life, you know, into a new life. And, you know, I think a lot of vets tend to look back and go, gosh, I was really great, you know, back when I was in the army or the Marines or whatever. Right. I, I believe life's out in front of us and uh, we need to keep challenging ourselves and setting goals and, and, you know, accomplishing great deeds. It's just, you just have to choose to do it. And, you know, I'm doing this because I've choose I've chosen to do it. And along the way, my fervent wish is to have as many veterans and friends and new people along the way come and walk with me and and, and feel that connection. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of people walk with me and I've had a lot of people walk with me. I don't really know. And it's amazing to me is, you know, it just takes a couple hours of walking and talking and, there's that instant bond. There's an instant connection that just comes from that activity. And, you know, part of, you know, what I'm also talking about is a bit of how we live our lives. You know, we, we, we drive around. Uh, Most people are pretty angry. You know, I got to wake up. I got to get to work. They're late. People are driving. They're not happy. People don't go to work in their cars. Happy. They're angry. (laughs) That's true. Okay. And they don't come home happy right they're in a hurry to get home you know i always joke around don't stand stand between a hungry hobbit in his pickup truck and his hobbit hole at night you know when they're when they're leaving work yeah um you know and americans are pretty provincial you know they don't they they pretty much live and die close to wherever they they were born Mm um so you know connect finding connection with people through walking and talking you know, demonstrating through, through my example, you know, that you just need to set a goal and go out and do it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, everybody that's come to walk with me, you know, they've left with, you know, a feeling of accomplishment and thankful that they were there with me and that we had whatever conversation we had. And, uh, and so I guess that's my very long soliloquy about, about it you know there's there's probably a lot more i could talk about but in terms of you know sort of capturing the essence of why i'm doing it that's that's really it right there it's incredible and you touched on you know it's interesting you touched on a lot of the things that are actually in our you know vbc's mission um connect uh heal and inspire um and that's something that we sort of hang our hat on uh and it's why i'm so happy that we were able to connect I, I before getting more in detail on on the walk that you're on uh i want to kind of dive back into the early 90s that's whenever you you enlisted is that right yeah so i went to west point uh i got i got uh, got into west point and started in 1987 and graduated mm-hmm. in 1991 um and then you know came in as an infantry officer uh in 1991 
So you, at that point, was there military service in your family that, that you know, made you want to enlist? Um, so there was, a, there was, my dad was in the Marines. Um, both my grandparents were in the military. My dad, my grandfather on my dad's side was in the army. Um, and, and my grandfather on my mom's side was in the, in the Navy. Uh, I had an uncle who was an army uh, helicopter pilot. Um, so there was, there was military. It wasn't, I didn't grow up in a military family. I grew up in San Diego area where there's a lot of Marines and Navy influence. So it was around and obviously, you know, it was sort of the Reagan years and there was a resurgence of pride in the military. You know, right now we've got Top Gun 2 is out, you know, Top Gun came out when I was in high school. So there was just, you know, it was a different sort of a resurgence of, of pride in the mm -hmm. country um, and in our military uh, that was happening as I was graduating high school. Yeah. And, and what made you join Army then, if it was sort of Navy Marines in San Diego? Uh, you know, it's funny is that uh, when I was a little kid, we used to have to read these little biographies and do, a, and do an oral book report. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing, uh, you know, some of the famous Civil War generals and World War II generals, and they were all West Pointers. Hmm. So I was sort of fascinated by West Point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I never, ever thought I would ever go to a military academy. And um, there's a, a bit of a story to this. So I was I was a pretty good high school football player in San Diego and I got interviewed. We were in the playoffs and we had just won our second playoff game. And uh I got interviewed by the, uh, the two big newspapers in San Diego. I was the athlete of the, of the week or something. And they yeah. asked me, you know, where, where do you want to go? To where are you planning to go to college? Well, neither of my parents were college graduates. I was a good student, mm -hmm. but I didn't really know how to, how to apply for a military academy. I didn't have any guidance there. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't ask for help, you know? <laughs> so I said, basically, I, you know, I always wanted to go to a military academy. I always wanted to go. I specifically said, I always want to go to West Point, but I didn't really know how to go. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. So eventually we won the championship uh, that year. And uh, shortly after that, my football coach called me up. I think I was actually in class and called like, the teacher in my class and said, Hey, the, the coaches from West Point are here and they want to see you. Are you serious about doing, you know, going to West Point? And I said, yes, I'm serious about it. So, wow. Uh, I went to meet with the coaches. So it all kind of came, I think out of this newspaper article that created, you know, somebody probably told somebody, you know, mm -hmm. that's sort of how things were in those days, pre-internet. And, um, and I was a good student. So, you know, I, I kind of was more of a, you know, I was, a, I was a scholar athlete, kind of a, kind of a kid. Right. And, and, and so next thing you know, I was going to West Point. And, you were playing, uh, playing for West Point too? Uh, I only play, I, I joined the football team. I made the team my plebe year, my freshman year. Um, I was struggling a little bit with the whole being a football player and being a cadet. Um I don't think my heart was really in into playing football. I think I felt like I wanted to be more focused on, I mean, I went to West Point because I wanted to be an army officer. 
I mean, <laughs> and that was what I was really about. And, uh, and I was always a bit of a historian, mm -hmm. you know, I've always, you know, enjoyed reading history. I was one of those kids, you know, that would go to the library and read encyclopedias, yeah. you know, and just have a general knowledge of many things. And I would read, you know, military history. And so I was, a, this is a cool place to go to become an officer and learn, you know, I had this, this, this fantasy about what West Point was going to do for me in that regard. Um, and somehow sort of, it almost felt like it was, I was fated mm -hmm. uh, to go there and football was just, uh, this wasn't in it. It wasn't in the cards for me. And, yeah. you know, ended up kind of being, as we say, a company man, you know, as a cadet. And, uh, and I enjoyed that. Right. And what did, you know, since your mom is such a heavy presence in this story, what did she think about you and going to West Point and enlisting? Um, she was super supportive of it. Um, you know, she was a, a defense contractor, so she had a lot of an association with a lot of retired military officers, mostly Navy and Air Force um, and a couple a couple army senior army you know, leaders but it was you know the, the whole idea of the academy to her was was a very positive uh route for me to take and she was very supportive of it that's great so you get into the army is it what you expected is it kind of a culture shock uh you know you wanted to be an officer uh but how did that pan out and was it the way you thought it would go <laughs> I don't think I really knew how it was going to go, mm -hmm. but what I found is that it was something that I really loved. Yeah. Um, I really love soldiers. I love training. Um, I love being out in the field. Um, you know, I was a you know infantry airborne ranger, you know, platoon leader in the 82nd airborne division. I mean, I was, you know, I was doing the things that, you know, that I jumping out of good airplanes. That I was that I had visualized, and then you know I got to continue to serve, and just amazing. You know, everywhere I went, every time I served anywhere, everywhere I served, even some of the jobs that were maybe not as glamorous per se, I, I just really enjoyed it, and mm -hmm. I enjoyed the people. Um, you know, the army is all about people, um, yeah. and so I just I just found that you know this was my tribe, and mm -hmm. um, you know I loved you know, the connection that you had with, with, with the people in your, in your units that you served in. And, and so that I was an easy fit for me. Yeah. And, and I just thrived in that environment. Um, moving up into what, the early nineties, were you deployed desert storm, desert shield? So I, I, I was commissioned right after. Okay. So, you know, we missed the big one, you know, mm -hmm. We're like, oh God, that was our big chance. And you know, I went to the 82nd and they all had combat patches and CIBs. And you know, uh, and I was like, you know, I was the no no combat patch guy, you know. Yeah. yeah. Kind of coming into a unit that had had been, you know, they hadn't really seen much combat, but I didn't really realize that. And mm -hmm. you know, I got my chance after 9-11. So um 9 11 yeah, I specifically, I always like to ask this because it's sort of, you know, my young generation, the guys that are my age, that's when they sort of were enlisting at that point. Um, so yeah. you're, you'd been in for quite a while at that yeah. time. How did you, you know, we always ask, you know, where were you on 9 11? But more importantly, I guess, like, how did you see 
the military change because you had already been in for a while. So you were quite kind of used to a very particular, you know, way of doing things. And then yeah. a lot of things shifted right after that. So I was rare in that I'd already deployed twice before 9-11. I'd already been, so I hadn't been in, in combat, but I'd been to Bosnia twice. So I'd spent you know, two seven month deployments. So I knew a little bit about being deployed mm -hmm. um, and just what that's like. Um, and on 9-11, I was actually uh, an observer controller at the Joint Readiness Trainer Training Center. <laughs> at Fort Polk, Louisiana, and we're just getting ready to go out on a rotation. Um, you know, a, a unit was in there to, to go through rotation when this attack happened. <laughs> and of course, you know, we were all sort of in shock um, for a while. You know, we went through and executed the rotation. Um, and then, um, you know, things started happening and, you know, we're, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, a, I'm in a training base, so I'm not in a, in a regular, you know, army unit that's going to deploy. Um, and then the following year, I was at Fort Leavenworth for Command and General Staff College when the invasion of Iraq happened. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I graduated from CGSC and, uh, you know, went to the 10th Mountain Division and, you know, in terms of how like the army changed, you know, what happened is the army was very committed and life became nothing more than getting ready to deploy, deploy, coming back and then getting ready to deploy again. Yeah. Um, so um, I deployed right away um, to Afghanistan. I was a major on a staff, um, you know, things in Afghanistan at that point weren't super kinetic. Right. Um, but I got to do some neat things and then I came back and I was, you know, getting ready to deploy to Iraq as the battalion S3. Mm -hmm. Um, and right before they were getting ready to deploy, I got pulled out to be a brigade S3 operations officer for second brigade 10th mountain. So what happened to the army is not just this constant deployment cycle, but we also reorganized the army. So we went from brigades, you know, where, you know, when you deployed, you'd get all of your various support, supporting arms would get, you know, task organized to you. Yeah. We went through what's called transformation and we basically transformed into brigade combat teams where brigade commanders owned all of the, the capabilities within their organization. Mm -hmm. Well, we had to go through that and create that. I was a, I was a field an iron major when the army was going through that. So I had to do it at the battalion level where we created new companies, new platoons. When you say iron uh, major, um, just as a civilian, what is an iron major? So in the army, uh, major is the first rank where you're a field grade officer. And that means you do a lot of the rolling up your sleeves and the hard work that it takes to plan and coordinate uh, all the various actions that you know, support uh, and plan and mm -hmm. do all the things that the army does. Yeah. So you're at the, you're at the, you're at the first line of, of, of sort of executing and planning mm. okay. a lot of these things. So it was crazy, hard, busy time, you know, fantastic experience. Uh, right. I ended up deploying again as a major 
with the 10th Mountain Division, 2nd Brigade, for 15 months to Iraq, south of Baghdad. Um, and so, you know, the Army basically changed the way it's organized. It changed, you know, into this sorely war footing. And that kind of became normal for us for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then continued on even, you know, when I come in, so I, I, after my time as a brigade three, I was a brigade three for two and a half years. Um, mm -hmm. that's kind of unheard of. Usually you're only a brigade three for a year, um, because of the way things were, because we were at war, because my brigade commander was comfortable with me, you know, that just sort of ended up being the way it was. And then I went to Australia for two years as an exchange officer to their uh, school of infantry. A little, a little bit experience. easier of a deployment. That that was not a deployment. Okay, well, but that uh, was a, but that was you know my family came with me and it was okay. you know it was a great great experience where I made many new friends. I got to see how another army operates, and and share some of my experiences with them. Would you call and that? Then, would call that would be called an assignment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just another assignment, right? But, you know, as an exchange officer. So yeah. you know, it's it's it's. The, the, the our military has a lot of exchanges with foreign militaries and there's a lot of foreign military officers that have exchanges within you know mm -hmm. our army gotcha. for example um you know so it's, it's a it's a great program mm -hmm. um so i did that for two years and then i came back i took command of an infantry battalion back at 10th mountain division mm -hmm. and and you know i was already familiar with with the division i was familiar with you know, deploying and all the things that it took to, to get a unit ready uh, for combat and, uh, you know, train my battalion and we deployed uh, for a year. So I trained him for a year. We deployed for a year, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that was that was normal and uh, came back and uh, uh, went to school at the War College for a year and then went back to the 10th Mountain Division as the G3, so the Division Operations Officer. Uh, and deployed again for another year to Afghanistan. Um, again, a division I was familiar with, deploying was normal to me, being back in Afghanistan was fairly normal to me. Um, so it was, it was, you know, not what I had grown up with in the army where we were really a training focused army. Um, we were now a, you know, operationally focused army and I feel blessed in that I had the good foundation of training and understanding, you know, standards for how you train mm -hmm. and knowing how to train and knowing how to resource training mm -hmm. so that when I was now thrust into a position where I was a little bit more senior and leading some of these organizations, you know, I knew how to do it. I knew how to, I knew how to, you know, synchronize combat power. I also knew how to train. Uh, and I had a lot of experiences that that you know in the in the training part of that of my career had prepared me for the operational side of it, and, and um, you know I got to you know experience the army mm -hmm. in particular doing what it's meant to do, um, right. and and do it very well, and get really really good at it, mm -hmm. and you know after my time in this part of my career, I started to go into another part of the army. Uh, so I was selected for brigade command, but it was a ROTC brigade. So hmm. I went and commanded 
the Northeast region of the United States for ROTC officer training mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, everything from Pennsylvania, all the schools from Pennsylvania to Maine. And uh, it was in that period where I started to formulate the idea for this walk. And I spent basically two years on the road visiting uh, colleges, talking to cadets, doing, you know, physical training with cadets. And then I spent you know, my two summers in brigade command training cadets when they did their cadet summer training. Um, what was that like? You know, you started off very young in, into the army and then all the, you know, you flash forward through tons of experience within the military at deployments, the wisdom that you gain, the friends, the companionship that you gain throughout. And then you're seeing these young guys and it's a very different world. And they're yeah. brought up in a very different society than the one that you were brought up in. Um, but what was it like starting to impart that knowledge to them and seeing them take up the call to enlist? Right. That's a very, uh, that's a great question. And it's a question that, that I could probably talk to you for a couple of days about, but, but, uh, I'll meet you, I'll meet you in Missouri and we'll, <laughs> the, 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 you could, you should actually, you should come walk with me. Um, that would be really cool. Um, so first of all, you know, what I found is, the cadets inspired me hmm. because at the end of the day, you know, all they really wanted to do is be a good leader. Hmm. There were probably some that might, might not have felt that way, but what I saw was this commitment to be an officer, these young people that really want to serve, really want to be a good leader. That's all they want to be. Yeah. It's a selfless, sort of way of looking at the world. And, and I was very proud of them. Um, as you can imagine, you know, young people today are different from when I was young. When I was young, you know, when a senior person spoke to us, like, you know, it was sort of a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, younger people today are more comfortable with authority. Um, they have a different, you know, they do have a different way of looking at the world that I don't fully understand. But I do understand how the army is. So I had a method for getting the attention of cadets. And, uh, and so for physical training, I would go to every school and I would do the same routine. Um, you know, I'd meet them on some field. Mm -hmm. I would demonstrate to them the proper, you know, technique for conducting individual movement techniques. So low crawl, high crawl, and three to five second rush. So those are individual soldier tasks that all soldiers in the army need to know how to do. Mm -hmm. And I would demonstrate them and they're physical. So I would physically show them how to do it. And, and then we'd practice. And then we'd start our physical training um, session. Yeah. So I'd get everybody lined up and I would basically control the movement of the formation as we did a three to five second rush, you know, in a series of rushes out to the 25 meter line. Mm -hmm. And then we would low crawl back. And then we would do the same thing out to the 50 meter line and then low crawl back. Mm -hmm. And then to the 75 and low crawl back and then to the hundred and then low crawl back and then out to the hundred and low crawl back. If you low crawl for a quarter mile, I guarantee you're going to be very tired yeah. and scuffed up and muddy. Mm -hmm. Everybody can do it. Everybody's going to make it. Everybody's got their heart rate up. Everybody's dirty. Everybody's sweating. 
everybody in the winter, everybody's freezing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And after this session was done, I found that I would have the cadets full attention. And I basically used that to impart to them about five minutes of wisdom and basically three or four key points. One, um, you know, physical training. Yep. It's PT, but it's also army training. So you're never going to have enough time to train your unit. So you have to be creative with how you use every minute that you have to train. So today we did individual soldier task and we did tough PT that was functional. Um, if we broke into units and did it as a unit, then it would be leader training and it would also be a collective task of assault. I'm not going to wear you out with, with all that, but it would be a collective task, a higher level task. Yeah. I'll just sort of cut to the chase and say, I used to tell the cadets, there's only one thing I want you to remember about today, yeah. about what, if you remember nothing else about being an ROTC, I want you to remember this one thing, go do hard things with your soldiers. You go out here and crawl a quarter mile with your soldiers and you're going to earn their trust. Yeah. Because everything's about trust. Everything's about mutual respect. Go out there and do hard things with them. And if you can just do that, you're probably going to be a pretty good leader because you're probably a pretty good leader already if you're yeah. willing to do that. Um, so that's sort of how I did it. Um, I was heavily involved in cadet summer training mm -hmm. and sort of creating what was the, the field training exercise that we, what we did. Um, and that was the crucible to evaluate the character of cadets, yeah. put them into a stressful situation where we see them for who they really are mm -hmm. and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And no matter who you are, when things are really hard, you know, you're going to show in a very honest way what kind of person you are. Right. And that's what we created. And we created an environment uh, for cadets um, that was harder than they were capable of. It was, it was beyond their skill level. Mm -hmm. But that's okay, because guess what? When they're going to be lieutenants and captains and majors or whatever, whatever rank they deploy at, they're gonna, it's going to be the same thing. Right. Create an expectation of complexity, create an expectation that, you know, the situation is going to be much more complicated um, and that you're going to have to figure it out. And that's what leaders do. We figure it out. No matter how hard it is, we have to figure it out. And that's what we created for that. Um, and that you don't always have a higher headquarters that's going to tell you exactly what to do, that you have to develop the situation based off of the intent mm -hmm. on the ground it gets you know, messy it's very messy it's messy it's a messy business and i think unfortunately we, we tend to teach cadets well you know you're always going to have an operations order you know you're always going to have this thing in writing that's going to tell you exactly what you need to do well that's right. not really like that most yeah. of the time you're looking at your mission and going okay well here I am in this particular place and I've got to figure this out. I got to, how do I support the mission with the resources I have available to me to accomplish the purpose that, that I've been given here. And there are no orders coming. You have to figure it out. And that's, that's what we try to create for cadets. Do you think that you, and this might be a dumb question. Do you think you came out of West Point 
a fairly good leader or do you think that you developed into a good leader over the course of your career? Um, I think, I think that I was very motivated to be a good leader mm -hmm. that, that my, my, um, and that's what maybe what West Point imbued in me is this, this desire, um, to be an authentic and, 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 and competent leader. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know for every individual what they came away from the experience with. Do I, do I think that West Point purposely developed that in me? Um, I think it could have been a much better experience, but I do have to say, you know, for better or worse, uh, I did come away from there um, wanting to be the best leader that I could be. Yeah. Now, you know, once you start, you know, leading and start, you know, actually, you know, going out into the army, you know, your learning curve is really steep. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I used to tell, you know, the cadre that I commanded as an ROTC brigade commander is that, you know, don't worry a whole lot about the tactics, you know, teach them what you can about the tactics. What, what's most important is, are these the kind of people you really want leading soldiers or not? What is the character um, of these, of these human beings? Because you'll learn, you know, I learned more in my first year in the army than I did in all the other years prior to that about tactics, yeah. about my job, you know, my commanders, my NCOs, everybody taught me and if you're willing to learn it's all there for you to learn uh, and, and that's what I found I mean I grew up in a, in a great unit that developed me and challenged me mm -hmm. and uh, and so you know I carried that foundation with me you know for the rest of my career in the army yeah um let, let's flash forward to to the walk the journey you're on um we talked a bit at the beginning about why you're doing it um Talk to me about the, the boots on the ground. You start day one, knowing that your first step there is gonna take you on this journey across the country. It's gonna be difficult. There's gonna be challenges. Uh, what's going through your mind in the lead up to that, to the walk? Well, for one, I, you know, I wanted to be confident in my abilities. So I trained mm -hmm. for it. So I trained for six months. Um, you know, I experimented with shoes and socks and, you know, sort of, what I, what I wanted to do is train my body to be able to walk at distance, you know, five or six days in a row every week. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I started to walk confident. Uh, I have, I had a route, so I knew, you know, where I was going. And then, you know, the sort of the biggest hurdle was the logistic support piece. How was I going to get, you know, survive this thing? Um, yeah. and I was blessed in that, uh, um, through a mutual friend of a friend, a guy named Jim Niebling, uh, who owns a trucking company decided he wanted to support me. And he, you know, he got, a, he went through a, a third party and got a van donated, uh, to me and then has provided a driver on and off. Um, so that took care of the logistics. So now I don't have to worry about 
hey, you know, come pick me up at the end of the day and drop me off at the beginning of the day or, you know, resupply me when I need to be resupplied. I now had the foundation for, for the logistics part of it. In terms of, you know, how I approach, you know, basically I, I, my goal is to walk about 20 miles a day. Um, I do look at my route every day and, and uh, you know, I've deviated from my route and I basically have used the route that I created as um, a guardrail. Mm-hmm. And I found that, you know, the big, one of the biggest challenges out here is avoiding traffic, avoiding heavily trafficked roads. So I've spent a lot of time going out of my way to walk on backcountry roads so that I could actually focus on walking and not on dodging vehicles. And I can pay attention to the, to the world around me and be a yeah. part of the environment rather than, you know, trying to go fast because I'm totally. not really trying to just get on a, on a state highway and, and have you know, countless cars and trucks driving by and just listening to, to that all day. I've had to do it quite a bit, but, but I've learned now that whenever possible, you know, get off the beaten path. And, yeah. uh, and so I take each day at a time, one day at a time, um, you know, I know where I'm going, so I'm not worried too far about, you know, worried about that. Yeah. The Pacific's not going anywhere, you know, and I, and, and I, and I, and I, you know, I truly focus on what do I got to do today? What do I got to do tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And I don't worry and think about, wow, I've got Kansas out in front of me and I've got to figure out how to get through New Mexico. I mean, I just don't think about it because, you know, I don't need to worry about it right now. I've got a mission that I have to do today. And every day is different. Every day is its own challenge. Every day is a new experience. It's new people. Uh, You know, it's meeting new people. It's different terrain. It's a different part of our country. It's a different vibe. Totally. uh, it's been really interesting. How many, how many miles is it total? It's it's over three thousand. Okay, um, you know a lot of people so, do like the Appalachian Trail. Like my brother did part of that, and you're thinking like that's a fair distance. But then you think you cut it horizontally and you're across the country. Like Appalachian, I think is like twenty one hundred ish miles. Yeah, um, yeah so about I'll end up doing about a thousand miles more. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the AT, you're carrying your gear and you're carrying your tent and it's a different kind of challenge, um, you know, where you're not just moving every day. You're also surviving. Yeah. Um, you have to carry your food. You have to figure out, you know, how to get a shower and how to clean your clothes. And, Mm -hmm. and it's really, you know, about connecting with the people that you might meet on the trail because you, you end up meeting people. Um, my journey is a little bit different in that I'm trying to be a little bit more broad in my, in my connection, um, because people, people have basically flown in from out of, you know, from all across the country and then linked up with me because they can, because they can. Yeah. AT, it's a little bit harder to do that. Yeah. And then, you know, I also, every day I, you know, I sit down and I share, you know, what I'm doing. I, I write. Uh, you know, a, a summary of the people I met, the places I went to, and some of my impressions of things. And I post my pictures, and I've created a way for people 
to, to follow along and share in my journey uh, through social media as yeah. well. So a little bit of a different type of challenge um, than, you know, living, living out of a backpack and, right. and dealing with, with, with that sort of other type of, of journey. There's still a lot of time, though, in, in your walk that you're, you're in your head because you might be walking by yourself a lot. And how do you, my brother, I mean, he was young when he tried the AT, eventually got kind of bored, which, you know, at his age, I, I don't blame him. But, you know, do you find solace? Do you find meditation in, the, in this walking and 20 miles a day, continuous every, every single day, uh, taking one day a week to break? But like, you know, how do you keep that drive, you know, going? Um, I think that uh, first of all, I always find something <laughs> that's interesting to me. Um, not always, but almost always. Mm -hmm. There's always something that strikes me, mm -hmm. and it gets me thinking about something, some aspect of life, some aspect of our country, mm -hmm. uh, of our society, of our culture, of the future. Um, so I always find some kind of inspiration, you know, both positive and negative, I guess. I'll say that there's some negative things I've seen about our country, but, you know, I've seen a lot of positive and I've seen some negative. That just gives me cause to, to ponder. Um, and it almost always keeps me focused mentally. Yeah. Um, and then I take a lot of pictures. So I'm always looking for the next shot what's the next kind of cool thing that I'm going to see. And that kind of keeps me mentally occupied as well. Right. And I always am finding interesting things no doubt. Uh, to see. And, uh, you know, I think when you're on the AT, you know, you're, you're, you're surrounded by trees, you're in the forest, you occasionally get a, get a glimpse of the out, outside world. I think it's really important that you have somebody with you um, at least that you can, settle in with at the end of the night, you know, at the campsite or wherever you're camping. Um, it is lonely. Uh, that is, that is a part of this thing. It is, um, it, it is a little lonely, but most of the time I've had somebody with me. Yeah. So, you know, that's part of the, what's made this really great is, is how many people have made an effort to join me. And, um, a lot of people that aren't, you know, in some cases I didn't even really know have stayed with me for like a week. Um, they just, you know, they've enjoyed it. So, um, I just always find something out there right. that's interesting to me. And two thoughts based on what you were just speaking of, because I want to get to the idea of, you know, society and the culture, America that you are witnessing. Um, it's kind of like, you know, the final thought I want to get to, but before that, You've gone a quite a distance so far. You're always looking for the next picture. Can you paint us a picture of the most beautiful thing you've seen so far? Um, so I was in Indiana and uh, up until just a week ago, I was really meandering through, you know, I would say hill country all the way from Western PA through, you know, short, you know, short, you know, through West Virginia, Ohio. Mm -hmm. and, and I was in Indiana, um, meandering through hills. And I climbed up a hill. 
uh, and I and I was just standing there looking out over this valley. And you know, you could be anywhere. You could be in the Midwest. You could be out west. It was just this very beautiful scene of pastoral, um, you know, crops, you know, planted, uh, big puffy white clouds, this one lonely road with a sort of a solitary tree. Uh, I felt like I was, you know, in the, in the, in the midst of a beautiful painting. Yeah. And um, what you realize, you know, is that if you pay attention, <laughs> And we often don't because we're just too busy in our daily lives. I mean, there's a lot of beauty to be. I find beauty in our, you know, in, in our natural world every single day. And I just never really had time to pay attention to it. And here was this, you know, sort of breathtaking scene that I was in the middle of. And I, and I actually did like a little video to share it online. And I lingered there for a little bit just to enjoy it. You know, the wind was blowing. It was, it was, it was quiet. You know, there was some birds chirping. It was just a very, very, you know, uh, peaceful, pastoral and beautiful moment. Um, One of those ones that's difficult to walk away from. You don't want to leave um, it because it's, you're capturing it, it. Yeah, I definitely wanted to capture it. Yeah. Um, I would say that I'm always driven to, to move on though yeah um it's a weird i don't i don't i i don't like to linger yeah um yeah. I, i'm always feeling like i need to keep moving and uh it drives me yeah. <laughs> so i love that it's a mission it's good to be on a mission and, totally and so i i enjoyed the moment but i guess the other thing is when you see something beautiful like that you don't know what the next valley is going to have for you mm -hmm. You don't know what new surprise you're going to see, what new sight or experience is going to, you know, that you're going to come to. And that's kind of been the routine. I mean, yesterday, you know, I'm walking through Illinois. It's pretty boring, right? It's flat. It's, you know, uh, I've, I've been kind of etch-a-sketching my way across on country roads yeah, uh, to stay off of the highways and, you know, I suddenly found myself on a dirt road. It was like a county road that's dirt. And, you know, it feels pretty good to walk on a dirt road when you've been pounding the pavement and the gravel for, you know, 50 some odd days. Yeah. And this thing, this, this road's about five miles long. So I got out in the middle of this thing and it was, it was just, you know, I was like, wow, this is not only is it pretty beautiful out here, but, you know, I imagined you know, settlers or whoever moving west, it would have been a road kind of like that. They would have been on a dirt road, you know? And uh, again, every day is, is something new, something beautiful. I find beauty every day. I find something interesting every day. Totally. Um, so yeah, back to this idea of, you know, I find it really interesting being a, a veteran of the military, serving the country for as many years as you did, and then finally getting a chance to sort of walk across that country and meet the people that, that you served. Um, what has that experience been like? And, you know, people are very different from DC to, to Illinois, and I'm sure they're very different from Illinois to, to California. Um, yeah. But I, I would assume that most people would have the same particular response to your journey and saying like, 
that's that's pretty inspirational to walk across yeah. the country. Um, yeah. What has your experience been like? I'd say that people's reaction has pretty much been the same. Um, I, the kindness and generosity of strangers has been uniform everywhere I've gone. Mm. Um, you know, in general, you know, when I walk alone, people are less inclined to engage me. Um, maybe just because I'm, I'm a pretty big guy and, you know, I might just look like a weirdo out there walking along, I guess. But, um, but by and large, people are, are, are interested. Um, you know, they ask you why you're doing it. Uh, many people go, wow, I really wish I could do that. Uh, people have been very generous um you know um and you know i call it you know it's just the generosity of strangers i mean i've had people who i i've i've met people sort of in passing and um you know they're just amazed and sort of don't believe what i just told them and then they'll like go home and get on their computer or get on their phone and find my social media and be like wow this guy's really doing this this yeah. is and then they'll come find me <laughs> and, and want to talk to me some more yeah and uh you know as i meet people you know i'm I, I call it connecting the dots i mean you know you meet somebody in a town and they spread the word and then you meet somebody related to them farther on and they're waiting for you and they want to talk to you and and all these connections happen you know along along the way Mm -hmm. um and that happens over and over and over again everywhere i go you meet somebody they share you you know your story with other friends and that's sort of all, i'll say it's the power of social media mm -hmm. um and that i you know i see a very positive aspect of it in that regard um and you know you start to meet people like i i, I would meet i met this couple at this little bar called franz bar in buckeyesville Ohio. Mm -hmm. It was the end of end of my walk. And my support guy, Eric, was driving the van. He's like, hey, sir, I'm stopped over by this bar. And I'm like, that sounds perfect. It's a hot day. Let's grab a beer at the end of this. And we go in there and meet, you know, there's like these two people in there. We meet the bartender. And of course, they're like, wow, you're walking across America. And we take some pictures and they start following me. And I had written a, a story like two days prior to that about um, I'd watched this guy on a forerunner herding cattle. And, you know, he was just driving around, you know, going cow, 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 cow. And all the cows were moving in the line and just going where they needed to go. And I laughed to myself about the Ohio cow movie, you know, yeah. and I wrote about it, you know, said so not quite as elegant, elegant as the, as the cowboys in, in Yellowstone, mm -hmm. but but it's, it works. Yeah. Well, I get a message the following day after I'd met this couple and this woman introduced herself. She said, you know, Hey, I'm the daughter of the people you met at Franz bar. And that guy you saw herding cattle was my ex-husband. And I told him your story and he laughed. Yeah. And that's what happens. You go, you go out there and, and, and I'm mostly in rural America. Mm -hmm. Um, not, you know, I'm not, hanging out in suburbia much yeah um you know I, I walk through suburbia but i don't you know it's it's different 
yeah people are a little bit more engaging in the rural in the rural not super engaging but you do meet you tend to meet more people totally and so you, you know that's just one example but there's lots of examples of meeting people who get interested in your story they share what you're doing with other people and they get excited to meet you and mm-hmm. they find you um you know a guy i served with uh his mother lives in clay city illinois i was there you know a few days ago and she was excited to meet me and she told the, you know some of the people in the town you know that where she lives and they organized a little dinner for me oh that's awesome at the, you know at the methodist church in clay city and you know people came to meet me it was like you know 10 15 people you know yeah. but it was just very touching you know yeah. that they would you know, take time out of their life just to meet me and, and break bread with me. That's and, fantastic. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been, you know, it's been fun to make that connection. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, you know, been the same. It's been very similar as I've gone along. And, and honestly, up until I sort of got out of the hill country of Indiana, and I finally sort of got into what I would call the traditional Midwest, mm-hmm. the terrain has been pretty much the same, you know, and uh and you know where the way people live has been pretty much the same now i'm in obviously the midwest where you have you know it's flat you have much larger farms um Mm -hmm. but i'm still in rural america here and small towns um most of which are you know not you know economically you know on the greatest footing right um you know uh and uh and that's you know part of the experience, the American experience I've had so far. Awesome. We talked about sort of your preparation, your thoughts during that first day. Um, but play this out. God willing, you make it over to California. Finish. <laughs> you, you you finish. You get to the end. Uh, yeah. One, you know, what do you hope to have gained at that point, and where do you see yourself going on to the next journey? I think there's a part of me that. First of all, I, I've got to say, I'm not looking forward to the end. Mm-hmm. I don't think about it. I'm sure it's going to happen and I'll be surprised and it'll probably be very emotional for me. I'll probably be in shock that I've actually made it. Yeah. And uh, it'll be a very poignant, emotional reaction. Um, what's next? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll probably write a book. Um, I'm a pretty good writer. I like to write. I'm going to write about the experience. Hopefully I can discipline myself to do that because I think it's important that I, that I do this. It's something I really want to do is write about this experience. I want to tie in my service in the, in the, in the, in the army to this experience as well. Um, certainly a different level of mental focus than walking across, but it's, it's a dis, but it's discipline. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's playing with pain. It's a mission focus. Um, so, you know, uh, I wake up and I'm proud. Like at the end of the day, every day, I'm proud. I'm yeah. proud of what I just did. You know, I accomplished something very real, and very tangible. You know, we spend a lot of times in our life, you know, we don't even know if what we do even makes a difference a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know. I know I walked 20 miles or whatever I walked um, and I've advanced, you know, a certain distance across the country, 
it's a very pure and true um, existence. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, like I said earlier, I feel blessed that I can I have the freedom to do it. Um, who knows what, what's going to happen and what relationships or what type of ideas are going to come out of this. Um, you know, one of the things I love about, I, I obviously I'm, I'm passionate about what I'm doing yeah. and I, I have, you know, I feel, and I have a lot more energy. I have, you know, I wake up after about five or six hours of sleep and I'm ready to go every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm driven in a way that that's, that's, you know, that's feels good. It feels good to have this kind of energy. It feels good to, to want to get up and do this every day. I like that um, sort of what the, the positive idea against what you had said, like people get up, they're angry. I got to go work. They're late, all this stuff, but the positive drive of getting up and being like, right, oh, right. I got a mission and I'm going to complete that. That's, that's very inspirational. Well, and I think the way we live our lives makes us angry i mean mm-hmm. we live we live most of us live in suburbia we don't know our neighbors uh we don't have a sense of community um maybe we're working from home and we don't really enter you know we don't talk to anybody um and and, and you know i you know i got it you know we got these phones and computers but guess what we're human beings okay yeah and right now the way we're living our lives is counter to our humanity humans need each other we need to be connected to each other we need to be able to communicate with one another we need to be able to talk you know walking and talking human beings occupied every corner of the earth walking and talking to each other that's how we got to every corner of the earth except for you know maybe the pacific ocean okay Mm -hmm. micronesia or something but the bottom line is that's you know we're starting to forget what makes us human and living in suburbia and having to drive every day and drive everywhere, not only is it not very healthy for, for us because it's making us more and more sedentary. Um, we spend more and more time in traffic because there's more and more people on the road. And you know we don't have a lot of places to walk and ride a bicycle in this country. Right. Okay. I mean, you know, you just don't. Yeah. That's that's another issue that we have. We, you know, we have these mi- millions of miles of rails, you know, railway that's unused. Yeah. Tear it up and make it into a freaking bike trail. They're doing that Get a lot in Pittsburgh. On their feet. Here in Pittsburgh, everything's rail to trails. Um, so it's, it's good. been good to see. Well, we need to take a, that rail to trail concept across the country. Totally. I, I, I walk, there's a, there's a railway that goes all the way across Illinois. It's not in use. It's, it's, it can't be used. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. decrepit. Pull it up. And what was, what would that do? You know, what happens when you start getting people out on the trails, walking and riding their bicycles, you create another economic, you know, effort Yeah. where people want to stop in the little shitty town, sorry, the little town to, right. to get an ice cream or, or sleep for the night, or they need to get their bike fixed or get a coffee. You create a whole industry that's focused on a walking trail that used to exist along a rail line because that rail line was the main economic thoroughfare. Yeah. If you don't live off the interstate and you don't live, you know, in a big city, you know, there's not a lot of tax base out there. Here's a way to create something that that's good for us, our health, our mental health. Yeah. 
which is another huge problem we have in this country. Exactly. Okay. We wonder why we have so much problems with depression and all the other things because we spend our freaking whole life going from point A to point B to point C. We don't see the clouds. We don't see the sky. We're not in nature. We're angry. And we've created a life for ourselves like that. And we're just living in that way. Yeah. We don't have to do that. You know, we can live another way. We just have to invest in it. You know, and gas, freaking gas, who knows how, you know, it's not, it's not even, you know, in the future, maybe gas is going to be so expensive that we can only drive, you know, in rare. It's going to force us to walk. At that point, I'm just going to force us to have to walk to everything. So walk or ride, or maybe, you know, we just have to work closer to home. We have to yeah. live in communities again. Mm -hmm. We have to actually talk to people, you know, and, uh, and not live you know, uh, in the world of, of Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and actually like be a part of, you know, the world that we're in. Kenny, I don't feel like I had to, uh, you know, army crawl for a quarter mile to get, to get <laughs> my full focus on you. Um, but, uh, I'm very inspired by what you're doing here and, and I want to know how can we help spread the word? Who, where can we follow you? You know, what can, when people want to support your walk, how can they do that? So you can go to KennyWalksAcrossAmerica.com mm -hmm. and on there is a link tree that will give you the links to the three charities that I described. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also an online store where you can buy cool, you know, Kenny Walks Across America gear, hats and shirts and mugs and things like that, which support will support some of my you know, my financial uh, needs out here. Mm -hmm. I also have a GoFundMe uh, on there. Um, and people have been very generous to me. And then uh, it also gives you a link to my Facebook page, which is Kenny Walks Across America. I also have a group on Facebook called Kenny Walks Across America group. And I'm also on Instagram at Kenny Walks Across America. And I'm also on um, uh uh linkedin okay as kenny walks uh if you friend me at kenny walks on facebook that's another way to get to me mm -hmm. so kenny walks across america.com that's the easiest way to remember and uh you know obviously I'm, I'm i'm walking for good causes the the money you donate goes directly to the charity uh, i'm not a i'm not a you know I'm not a 501c3 charitable organization. So if you donate money to me, it's just for my use. Um, you know, I do have to pay for food and gas and hotels and well, not gas, but hotels and stuff like that. And, um, and so, you know, anything that you donate is, is very appreciated and, uh, and, and I need your support. And I, I need your encouragement. I need, need people to follow me and, 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 and read my stuff and, you know, give me some input and come walk with me is, is really sort of my battle cry. Come find me and walk with me. That's awesome. And we will get that. I will put all the description, the links into the description here on YouTube, or if you're listening uh, as an audience member uh, on one of the podcast platforms, uh, you should be able to find all these links in the description. I hope you reach out to Kenny. If he is coming through your town, uh, that you're able to link up and say hi and, and walk with him. Kenny, I'm sorry that you've already passed by Pittsburgh. 
um, <laughs> or else I, I would have stepped out the door for you. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that I found out about you and that we were able to have you on the podcast and I, I wish you Godspeed getting across America. Thank you for your service. Thank you for my freedom. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure today to talk with you. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Good luck out there. And uh, I'll be following you on Facebook. Cool. Thank you. <laughs>